reading from the book of Exodus. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. The word of the Lord. Stand, and we'll say together um, Psalm 1 uh, this morning um, in unison. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. You can be seated. The New Testament reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, 
and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. According to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us the help of your Spirit as you have promised to do. Help us to hear, to to learn, and to live out your word. And again, we acknowledge this morning um, that we need your help and we welcome it. We give thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The first time I rode a roller coaster uh, was at uh, Kings Island um, in Cincinnati, Ohio. That was the closest amusement park uh, to Indianapolis where I grew up. And I remember very clearly being on the racer. Um, that was uh, the biggest roller coaster at the time um, in Kings Island. And I was on the racer and we were going up um, the first hill, hearing the, the clanking of the, the chain carrying us up. Um, and I noticed a sign near the top of the um, hill um, uh, that said, uh, you know, keep your hands in the car at all times. I mean, it even had a picture of a guy with his hands up like this with a big red X over it. Very clearly, do not do this. 
And as I saw that sign and was considering it, I saw people in front of me putting their hands up in the air, exactly like the picture of the guy that was the example of what you were not supposed to do. And then I looked over at my father who was sitting next to me, and he put his hands up into the air. And I thought, what is happening? And as we got just to the crest of the hill, I said to my dad, Dad, it says not to put your hands up in the air. Why is everyone doing it? Um, it wasn't really the best time to have a conversation um, at that moment, but as we went speeding down the hill, I remember my father saying very clearly, because it's fun. And I thought, even on the roller coaster, I thought, that doesn't seem like the answer my dad should be giving. I thought, if I said to him, hey, dad, you know, you've told me to, you know, not talk back, but I'm going to disobey that rule because it's fun, I was sure that he would very much reject that answer. Now, we went on and lived the rest of the day at the amusement park, and I didn't dialogue further with my dad about this. But of course, the more I thought about it, I thought, okay, really what he was probably saying in that moment, at least I thought about this, this is my version of it now, but you know, my um, childhood mind you know, was thinking, you know, really he's saying, that rule's kind of, it, it doesn't really matter. Because clearly people, every time they ride this roller coaster, are sticking their hands up um, in the air, and they're enjoying themselves, and it's not hurting anybody. So that's kind of a meaningless rule, right? Maybe he would have gotten into lawsuits and why the, you know, um, the amusement park had to say that. But that probably would have been the, the, the brunt of it. Everyone knows you don't really need to do this. Right, well, today we are beginning a series on um, the Ten Commandments. It's going to be an 11-part series, not because we're adding an extra commandment. Ten is good, um, but because uh, today I want to sort of introduce this series. And basically, I want to ask the question, why do we obey the Ten Commandments? Like, why don't we treat the Ten Commandments like, you know, many people um, treated that um, sign uh, above the roller coaster, right? And just kind of say, come on, we know we don't really need to obey them. And let's acknowledge, right, that many of the Ten Commandments, actually, probably many today would say, come on. You know, kind of a nice idea, but it's not really practical to, to live these out. It's not really practical to obey them. Maybe even we, as people of faith, at times struggle with, do I really need to obey this? What does it really mean to obey it? And so it's helpful to begin with the question, like, why? Why are these worthwhile to obey? And we're going to be going through each commandment um, and thinking through, what does this mean? How do we live this out? What are the applications for this? But again, today I wanted to just sort of start broadly with why, in general, do we obey these? There's a lot of answers to that question, why. But a big one actually comes in what we could kind of say is the introductory words to the Ten Commandments. You see those actually on the top of page 9 where it says sermon. I'm over there um, uh, from Exodus 20, 1 through 2. And God spoke all these words. It's actually interesting to note that the Ten Commandments are never called the Ten Commandments in the Scriptures. They're called the Ten Words. Um, God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And sometimes that's viewed as going with the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Clearly, they're connected. But we can also view that as sort of an overview of all the Ten Commandments. That it begins with the Lord saying, I am the Lord your God. In other words, why should you obey these? Because I said so. Right? I believe that is the big answer to the question why. Now, I realize when we hear because I said so, um, all of us who have either had parents or been parents, right, have heard that before, maybe sometimes coming out of our own mouth. And we're aware of this sometimes because I said so can be a little bit of a cop-out, right? When you as a parent do not have time to sit down with your child and explain to them, I, you, when you obey this, it leads to your personal flourishing, it leads to the flourishing of our community, right? When you don't have the energy to get into that, you just say, because I said so. 
And again, maybe sometimes it's a bit of a cop-out, but behind, because I said so, is actually an important truth that you're saying as a parent. You're saying, I've been called to parent you. I have been um, called, I've been given this job, and part of my responsibility is actually to teach you right and wrong, to help you see right the way of life and to avoid the way of death. Uh, again, that may not be what we're thinking when we say it, all right, or what our parents were thinking when they said it, but there's truth in that. But of course, we know that as parents, human parents, we're faulty. Maybe sometimes we may actually tell our children to do things that ultimately aren't good for them, even with our best intentions. But when God said something, it is always good. God is not faulty. And so for him to say, because I said so, is enough of an answer. But it leads to another question for us, which is, well, who are you, Lord? If right, it is enough to say, because you say so, that we should obey what you say, who are you? Uh, And that's a great question to ask, right? That is a question I believe the Lord wants us to ask. He wants us to contemplate, who is the Lord that his words I should obey? And I want to consider um, just some of the attributes of the Lord today. This will not be exhaustive. Don't worry, right? That would be a very long sermon to answer fully who the Lord is. Again, that's a question we should contemplate and ask our entire lives. But what are some important attributes as we consider his call to obedience and specifically to the obedience of the Ten Commandments? Well, the first thing that we can affirm and celebrate about the Lord is that he is eternal. The God who we worship is the God who has always been and always will be, right? He has no beginning. He has no end. He has always been the Lord. And so, right, when we read the Lord giving the law um, to the people of Israel, coming down at Mount Sinai and giving them that law, that is the same God who we worship right now, who we believe is present with us right now. Right, the God of the Old Testament did at some point retire and say, okay, I'm done. Let me pass it on to that new God of the New Testament, right? This is the same God, who we worship. And therefore, his words matter, right? And Jesus, of course, gives a very important affirmation of that. And our gospel reading, talks about the law and the prophets, right? Not an iota, right? Not a dot is to pass from the law until all is accomplished. He makes it clear it is good to teach the commandments of God and to embrace the commandments of God, right? Because God is eternal, right? We don't read the Ten Commandments and say, well, you know, they're kind of out of date, but they come from Almighty God, who is alive and active right now. Now again, as I'm saying that though, you may be saying, well, yeah, but the Ten Commandments are given as part of a lot of other laws, right, in the book of Exodus, and then Numbers, right, Deuteronomy, um, Leviticus, right, there are a lot of laws in there, and a number of those laws we can read and we can say, well, they don't apply to us, right, I can eat pork, right, I don't bring animal sacrifices, right, into the temple, right, there are not all sorts of rules about the fabric of my clothing, there are cooking rules, right, there's a lot that isn't applicable, and I would say, yes, it is not applicable in that we are called to obey it, but it is all relevant, right, because the Lord our God, the eternal God, spoke these things out, he gave them to his people, and we are his people, And so when we come to the word of God, we say because God is eternal, because God is alive, because of what Jesus says here, right, in the Gospel of Matthew, those words, all those words are relevant to us. Now, we may say, well, what do I do with that then, right? What do I obey and what don't I obey, right? Well, that's actually an invitation, right, to engage with God's word, to come into those laws, right, and to look at them and say, well, how do I understand this in light of Jesus being the fulfillment of the law? Right in light of what Jesus said until all is accomplished. Right? There's an opportunity, again, an invitation to actually interact 
with God's commandments and God's laws. And that's why we feel like it's good to do this series, right? To look at each of the Ten Commandments and say, how do we understand this in light of the full um, teaching of Scripture? In light, again, of the work of Jesus and what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. In light of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us in Pentecost. And so we can look at, you know, the full view of Scripture, but then we can embrace and seek to learn from the law. Uh, a few years ago, we did a um, series, a uh, sermon series, where we looked at God's work um, uh, among his people and bringing them out of slavery in Egypt and um, giving them the law and leading them into the promised land, right? And it was a, a series we did pretty much almost the whole year um, looking at uh, different aspects of that. And at one point, I gave a sermon on the sacrificial system that's um, set up in the book of Leviticus. And I can tell you, um, I hadn't studied the sacrificial system a whole lot in any depth, really, since seminary. And that was probably, it sticks out in my mind, as one of the sermons that took me the longest to prepare. There's just so much there and so much reading that I needed to do to kind of even just catch up. What are all these different sacrifices? And what do they mean? And what was their significance? But I can also say that in that study, it wasn't like, well, none of this matters anymore. Actually, what I experienced in studying those things is, well, I feel like I'm getting to know God better. And yes, we're not still called to make sacrifices, right? Jesus fulfilled um, those laws very clearly. And yet they were given by God. And he's alive. And we want to know him better. Now, I'm not saying then you should all prepare a sermon on the sacrificial system, although some of you say, ooh, I'd like to do that. So um, um, some of you probably would do much better. But I'm saying whatever your Bible reading looks like, whatever your personal study, your opportunities to read the scriptures with others, Right, to fight the temptation to just skip over certain things, to just say, oh, well, you know, well, this doesn't mean anything to me. But rather to approach and say, this is God speaking. And yes, you know, I, I don't need to follow these laws as they are laid out here. But what am I learning about the Lord? It's great to, again, study with others, right? Because it's hard at times to be able to understand what does this mean. But again, our God is eternal. He's alive. And Jesus, right, God the Son, affirmed that the law is good for us to learn and to know and to embrace. So God is eternal. Second thing, God is Father. Now, affirming that God is Father, I'm not denying that God is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and always has been. So the eternal God, right, has always been um, three persons, one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, the incarnation happened at a very specific um, time, but Jesus has always existed. The Spirit has always existed. The Father, they have been in perfect community for all eternity. But what I want to affirm when I say God is Father, that the God who gives us the Ten Commandments, right, we see his Father's love in that. We see the, um, the nurture of the Father, the care for the Father, the personality of the Father, and the giving of the Ten Commandments, and the giving of the law. And so what does this mean? Well, it means actually that the giving of the law, the giving of the commandments is for our good, is for our flourishing, it's actually for our freedom. Right, that it's a good gift, right? Our Father, every good and perfect gift comes from our Father who's above. And so when we read the law, when we read the commandments, and specifically when we say the Ten Commandments, we can embrace them as a gift. And that sometimes maybe that's hard to do. So we feel like, well, you know, maybe they're a gift, but they're really like negative. Like there's a lot of thou shall not, right? I mean, there are a couple, you know, you shall do this. But for the most part, it's not don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So maybe we feel like, okay, we understand they're necessary, but are they really, you know, a path of freedom? Are they really a gift to us rather than sort of a necessary evil, right? Well, I got to tell you what not to do, right? But behind those negatives actually are great positives, right? Behind the negatives is actually an invitation to all the things we can do. If you were to walk into a park and the first sign you see is, says, you know, don't pick the flowers, 
maybe you feel a little bit like, well, that's kind of negative, you know, like here I am in this park and they're telling me what I can't do. But behind Don't Pick the Flowers is all sorts of things that you can do. You know, you can have a picnic. You can walk around the park with a friend and admire the flowers. You can climb a tree, right? I mean, there are all sorts of invitations that are yeses behind that one no. And actually, in not picking the flowers, you're allowing other people to enjoy the flowers and to enjoy the park. It's actually a way to honor one another. It's similar, again, what Adam and Eve um, experienced at the very beginning of creation. When they were placed into a garden, right, and they were basically given freedom to enjoy paradise, to enjoy one another, to enjoy the calling, the very specific callings that the Lord had given them, right? With one, you know, do not, do not eat of the tree of the fruit of good and evil. And Satan tempts them to focus on the one do not and to actually view that rather than a gift to them, to view it actually as something that must be limiting them in some way. And so they listen again to the words of the serpent and they think, oh, it must be taking that fruit is actually better for us. That that must be the way of life. And of course, they experience in it that it's not at all, right? Their freedom is limited, right? They had great freedom. And when they chose to focus on the do not and say, well, that's a negative and therefore it's bad, therefore we should do it, they lost their freedom. And they became the way of death. And so in the same way, right, a loving God, a father-hearted God, a caring God actually says do not. So their eyes will be open to the freedom he has given us, to the way he's called us to bless others and, and to receive the blessings. What a father also does is he gives identity, right? Mothers and fathers, right? This is part of what parents do. They help instill in their children, this is your identity. This is who you are, right? They name us. They give us a name. They um, uh, help us to understand what it means to be part of a family, they help us to understand, right, and oftentimes influence, right, what we love, right, and what we're called to, right? And if that's true of earthly parents, how much more is it true of God, our Father, who gives us an identity? And again, who gives us a specific calling for each one of us and gives us gifts that we have, but also as a people, as a community, God calls us in a community and says, this is who you are. This is what it means to be part of my people. This is what it means to belong to me. Again, I am the Lord, your God. You belong to me. You're my people. And what is the identity? If you look at our um, Exodus uh, reading, if you flip around a little bit, I'm there on page six. Right? What is the identity that the Lord gives? Look at verse uh, five. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. So first, right, you are treasured by me. You're valued by me and loved by me. For all the earth is mine. Again, an affirmation, he is the eternal God who created all things, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is your identity. Right? This is who you are as a community, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right? And we saw right in our first Peter series this past fall, right? this applies to us as well. If we're wondering, well, does this apply to us as Christians? Absolutely. Right? Peter makes it very clear that this is an identity we can embrace. Right? And the Ten Commandments, right, as all of the Lord's commandments, but in particular the Ten Commandments, help us to live out that identity. When we say, what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Well, the Ten Commandments form that in us. Right? It's one of the ways that we can respond and say, this is how I live out the identity my Father has given me and called me to. And so let's start with a holy nation, that we are called to holiness. And again, we can think holiness, that means being set apart, which absolutely it does. But it means being set apart, it means being different in the way the Lord is different. The call to be a holy nation is basically a call to imitate God, to be like God. 
And we see that in the Ten Commandments, right? As we follow those, it's a way to be more and more like God, not in a, you know, um, uh, exaggerated way like I am God, right? But to say I want to become more and more like my Father. I want to become more and more like Jesus. And so we tend to become like whatever we set our eyes upon, right? If we are focused on something, that affects who we are. And the Lord is saying, focus on me. You shall have no other gods before me. Worship me alone. If you worship idols, you will become like idols, and you do not want to become like idols. You want to become more and more like me, so focus on me. God speaks the truth, right? Jesus could speak of himself as the truth incarnate, and therefore we tell the truth. God makes promises and honors those promises. He keeps his covenant, and therefore he says to us, keep your covenant, keep your promises, right? In marriage, honor that covenant, honor those vows because I am a God who honors vows. God created all people in his image. And therefore, he is saying every life is valuable. Therefore, you honor other lives, right? You do not steal from them. You do not take the life of another. You do not murder, right? In all these commandments, we see that the Lord is calling us to be more and more like him. It's a joyful invitation. And so there's a call to holiness. And again, if we think holy people actually is sort of set apart in a sense that we're superior, that we can look down on others, we can say, well, wait, that's not consistent with the character of God, right? His holiness actually is a holiness that calls us to love others um, and to reach out to others and to honor our neighbor because every person is made in the image of God. It's God's desire that all would come to a knowledge of him. And that's then connected to the other identity, kingdom of priests. We're called to be a holy people, we're called to be a people of, of priests. We're called to be a holy priesthood. Right? We can think of priests in sort of two ways, two things that priests do. They represent God to people, and they represent people to God. Another way to think of that is a priest is called to teach. It's called to um, bear witness to who God is. And a priest is called to help people come to God, to bring them to God. And we see that in the Old Testament, right? We see that. Um, in the calling of the New Testament people, in the calling of the church, to teach and to bring people to the Lord. And so to be a kingdom of priests and, and to live that out in obedience to the Ten Commandments is to say as we are obeying the Lord, we are teaching people about who God is. Like I said, we're showing people this is what God is like, but we're also helping to bring people to the Lord. There's a missional aspect to it. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking we're doing this series in the season of Epiphany and into um, Lent. And, of course, that's because we couldn't fit it in one season. Uh, But it's also because, right, in Epiphany, right, there's a focus in that sense on we are a kingdom of priests. We are called to um, let Christ's light shine out into us and to all the world. Epiphany is about revelation. May the Lord continue to be revealed, and we celebrate that he has been revealed to all the world. Right? And that's what the Ten Commandments are about. It's about living out our priesthood and revealing who God is. But it's also about a call to holiness, which we focus in on in the season of Lent, as we focus in on our call to repent and to turn to the Lord and to acknowledge when we fall short of his ways. So we live those out, right, as a holy nation, as a kingdom of priests. Let's just give one example of this. Let's use thou shall not covet, right? Do not covet, right? That's at the very end. It's the final commandment, so we won't be getting to it for a while, so it's a great one to, to think about. right? As we think about, again, do not covet, we can consider how this is a blessing to us. How's a blessing to a community, right, that, that together decides not to covet, right? It actually leads to great peace, to not constantly spend our energy on what do I want, what do other people have that I don't have, right? That's wearing, right? That, that, wears, that wears us out, right? It's tiresome. When we actually just accept what the Lord has given us, 
and accept the good gifts and live in those, there's a joy and there's a peace in that. It's good for us not to covet. But also think about the blessing it gives to others, how it actually is a way to serve others and to help bring them to the Lord. Right? Because actually when people experience, oh, hey, this person celebrates the good gifts I've been given. Rather than treating me with envy or resentment, they actually celebrate, hey, God has blessed you. And I celebrate that. They actually are modeling to me what gratitude looks like. What happens is we live in to do not covet. Inevitably, what grows out of that is actually greater generosity. Look at all that I've been given. I can share. Actually, as I'm happy with and accept what I've been given, I actually have more resources to give away because I'm not constantly trying to hold on to and to build up what I have. And so again, there's a natural blessing that comes, but there's a natural mission that grows out of obedience to the Ten Commandments of living out our identity. So God is eternal, he is Father, and finally God is active. And this is very important to the giving of the Ten Commandments, is that God is alive and active. So again, if you go back to Exodus 20, 1 and 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am the God who acts. And the Ten Commandments reflects the character of God, right? His, who he is, his attributes. It reflects the action of God. That he is a God who saves. And in one sense, this is important because if we say, well, why should I listen to him? Why should I trust him? Well, because he acts, right? When you see someone act and accomplish things, you say, maybe I should listen to them. They, they may have something to say. Well, if they can do that, then I should listen to what they have to say. But it's also important in that it's after the Lord has acted and set them free from slavery that he says, now listen to me. Now obey me. God didn't come to the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt and say, okay, I have these Ten Commandments. If you do them all perfectly, then you will have earned the right to be set free. And then I will bring you out of slavery. He said to them, I have set you free because you are my people. Because I made a covenant with Abraham. I'm honoring you. I've heard your cries. Now that I've set you free, now that you know freedom, here's how you continue to live in that freedom. Right? As St. Paul said, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Right? And so like the Israelites, right, we hear these commandments as those who have been set free, as those who have been forgiven of all of our sins. That's so important. It's like me when you um, uh, read that Exodus reading on which we read, and it comes to that point in the second paragraph where it says, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's both encouraging to hear and super discouraging to hear. It's encouraging in that, like, yes, that is how we should answer. I remember hearing one time an a Old Testament teacher say, you know, maybe in the liturgy, instead of saying the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, we should say the word of the Lord, and then we should respond, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Um, and that's always stuck with me. We haven't added that. We're not going to change the liturgy. But that spoke with me, right? I mean, that should be the response. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yet even as we read that, we know they didn't do it, right? It wasn't long. I mean, it was such a short time after they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, that they were bowing down to a golden calf. They were explicitly disobeying the second commandment. It couldn't have been more clear. Don't have idols. Don't bow down to idols. And they were doing it. And again, it's discouraging to read that and think, oh, their intentions were so good, and yet they gave in, right? They disobeyed. And what's discouraging is that we can read and we can say, my intentions are so good, I want to tell the truth, right? I want to honor life. I don't want to covet. And yet, so often, right, we too give in, right, and do not do what the Lord has called us to do. And that's, again, where we come back to, but our Lord is active, and he is a God full of grace. 
He calls us to obedience after he has already given us forgiveness and freedom and salvation in him. We do not follow these commands in order to earn his grace, in order to earn his forgiveness. We do so in light of his forgiveness, in light of his grace. And therefore, it's a joyful invitation. And yes, we need his help. And yes, we should grieve when we break these commandments. But we do so knowing we have a God full of grace. And not only in what he did before he brought them out of Egypt, but what he did after, that he led them to the promised land. He didn't leave them alone. He didn't give up on them. I mean, he had a little dialogue with Moses about it after they started worshiping the golden calf, but he honored his covenant and stayed with the people and led them into the promised land. In the same way, right, as we receive this call to obedience, right, we receive it from a Lord who continues with us even when we disobey, who continues to build us up and continues to call us, right, into the promised land, into eternity uh, with him. I don't think it's a coincidence that the um, law was given, right? The, uh, the Lord met the people on Mount Sinai 50 days after Passover. And it was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And so we think about the Lord helping his people and saying, here is how I'm going to help you. I'm giving you my law. And then we think about, right, those first followers of Jesus. The Lord basically says to them, here's how I'm helping you. I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you my spirit. The Lord helps, he is active, he is with us and leads us. And so may we, um, as strange as it may be, be like the, the man described in Psalm 1. May we actually delight in the law of the Lord. Because we realize he's showing us himself in his law. He's calling us to be more and more like him. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray as we consider your commandments, or we would hear them as a gift we would um, see them as revelations of who you are. And Lord, I pray that we would grow in a knowledge of you. We would grow in a knowledge of your grace, of your goodness, but again, of um, your truth and uh, the way of life that you direct us to, Lord. So we, again, just ask for open hearts um, to learn and to receive um, from you. And in the places where there's a corrective word for us, may we embrace that, knowing again that you are a good, good father. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.